what's more important, the Senate or the presidency right now? It's both. That's the real terror of this all, is that Trump takes down the whole ticket, the whole Republican side of the Senate. I mean, I know the House is hopeless. I believe that what the Senate has done with accepting the things that Donald Trump has done to the country and looking the other way is unacceptable. Voters in key states laying out the importance of the battle for the Senate in a year dominated by an all-consuming presidential contest. Hello, everyone. I'm CNN political director David Chalian. And I'm CNN senior political reporter Nia Malika Henderson. Welcome to Politically Sound. With less than three weeks to Election Day, a week that we expected to be focused on the second presidential debate was instead eclipsed by the United States Senate. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give this committee is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? The confirmation fight over Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett shined a spotlight on the importance of controlling the United States Senate. It's a Republican advantage that President Trump has used just days before a presidential election to get his nominee on the Supreme Court. You know, elections have consequences. Winning and losing an election, that's big consequences. And we've been winning elections. But it's not just the Supreme Court. Across the country, the so-called down-ballot races, the House and Senate contests, are taking on an increased importance. No matter who wins the presidency, fulfilling campaign promises, confirming judges, and changing policy require the legislature. So, in this episode, we'll take you through the shifting map in the battle for control of Congress, how presidential politics are affecting those races down the ticket, and what it all means for both parties moving forward. We'll hear from national political reporter Frederica Scouten, who covers money in politics for us. She'll tell us what's behind the massive fundraising numbers Democrats are showing in their bid to take back the Senate and what that means for the election. So it's time to tune out the noise and tune in to what's politically sound. So, David, we are less than three weeks out from Election Day and the battle for the Senate, just like the presidential race, very much in full swing. So can you talk to our listeners about sort of the big picture view? How do you see things playing out right now? Well, let's just look at the Senate battlefield first, right? There are 35 seats up this cycle. As you know, a third of the Senate is up every two years. 23 of them are currently held by Republicans. 12 of them are currently held by Democrats. So it is already just at the start of the cycle, right? Forget the environment for a moment. Just the math, it's advantageous for Democrats, right? That's uh, one thing to keep in mind. Let's remember for everyone what the magic number is, right? Democrats need a net gain of four seats to win the majority in the United States Senate. Now, that goes to three seats if indeed Joe Biden wins the election and then Kamala Harris is the tie-breaking vote. But that's not how any party wants to win control of the Senate. So uh, it is four seats. They're at 47 now. To get to 51, they need a net gain of four. Let's already deal with one deficit that they have, which is Alabama, right? Doug Jones beat out somebody who had been accused of being a child molester and was able to win that Alabama Senate seat. And at the time, I think we all said he really should, you know, he's renting that seat. He shouldn't buy right. here in Washington. Yeah. I don't, think, I don't, think, <laughs> don't uh, get too comfortable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, a Democrat in Alabama, that's just a tough thing to do. So let's assume that Doug Jones loses that. So now... Now you're at five that they need, right, if you add the Jones seat. So where do they go get it? Well, 
Arizona, Colorado, two states currently Republican hands. The senator from Colorado, Republican incumbent Cory Gardner, is in serious trouble in Colorado against John Hickenlooper. And Martha McSally appointed to the seat because she just lost a Senate race in Arizona uh, two years ago. She also is losing to Mark Kelly in that state of Arizona, pretty significantly so. I think I saw a poll today out from Monmouth University that has Kelly up 10 points uh, in that Arizona uh, Senate race. So where do the Democrats go to find their next three? But they have a lot of places to go. I mean, that's what the map looks like. Iowa, Maine, Montana, North Carolina, South Carolina, which you can talk about uh, more <laughs> expertly than I, and and Georgia. There are two Senate races in Georgia, both of which are actually competitive. Uh, so there's a lot of terrain on the map for Democrats to go to and try and collect those additional three seats uh, that they would need as a net gain in order to win control of the Senate. You know, Democrats in some ways playing with House money in some of these states you talk about, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, and God knows there is a lot of House money (laughs) that Democrats are getting in South Carolina in this race. I'm skeptical of those two races of Democrats being able to pull them out, but it does speak to sort of, I think, the future of the Democratic Party and their hope that some of these demographic shifts in these so-called Sunbelt states, places like Arizona, which we are seeing a bit of a shift this go around. And then South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina as well, Texas to a certain extent, uh, that some of these demographic shifts will lead to electoral gains. Again, I'm skeptical in, in South Carolina. This Georgia race, though, the poll that I've recently seen, you've seen it as well, has Ossoff up over Purdue, about five or six points. Listen, I would be shocked if Ossoff actually wins that race, but I have been shocked before, and this might be uh, one of those election seasons where a lot of surprises happen. I think, obviously, the terrain has shifted quite a bit because of COVID. We thought this was going to be about the economy. Now it's about the economy and COVID and healthcare. And as a result, Democrats are feeling pretty good about their ability to actually take control of the Senate and get those necessary seats in unlike likely places. So the Georgia contest that you're talking about, that is a late blooming contest in this cycle. It's the other Georgia seat. You talked about Ossoff. That's the right. re-election battle that Purdue is in, the current Republican incumbent. In the other seat, there is a special election taking place there uh, on the same day as the regular election, folks. And not only that, let me just remind everyone, in Georgia, to win, you actually need 50% plus one. Anything less than that, it goes to a runoff in January. So we may still be talking about these uh, Georgia Senate races in January if indeed we're in runoff territory. Nia, you mentioned COVID and healthcare and the economy. I mean, you and I watched the 2018 midterms really closely, and we saw that Democratic takeover of the House was driven in a huge part by the Democrats' focus on the health care issue, right. that that was the kitchen table issue that they talked about. No matter how much reporters or others around them wanted them to talk about Donald Trump, and every question was about— Impeachment, uh, whatever it was. Impeachment, and you know, or uh, do you support Nancy Pelosi for speaker or whatever? Like, those candidates were all about health care, and that's actually the message they rode to the majority. We're now another two years of Trump on top of that, and his mismanagement of COVID is so omnipresent in the country right now. Does Trump break through more for these Democratic candidates as an issue to ride here, or do you still see them doing this kitchen table uh, health care messaging? 
it's both. It's his handling of a health care crisis and his lack of a plan. And we talked about this uh, somewhat last week, lack of a plan in terms of COVID and in terms of health care more generally. Listen, the Senate is controlled by Republicans. They obviously uh, have the White House, too. But I think if you look at polls, most voters think that this president has done a terrible job in terms of COVID. There isn't much of a vision coming from Republicans more broadly in terms of how do you address the health care crisis and the economic crisis. We see sort of a back and forth with the White House and with Speaker Pelosi around a stimulus package, but that seems to be dead in the water. They still seem to be far away from addressing the real needs that Americans are facing. Evictions, they're facing, you know, long lines at, at bread lines and, and food pantries because of the economic crisis that, that people are, are going through. And listen, we have paid attention to Donald Trump. We have paid attention to Republicans more broadly this go around. And there is lacking a kind of vision for the country and a vision for the second term on any number of issues, specifically on health care. So you see that Republicans don't have a real message. And part of that is because Donald Trump doesn't have a real message. And you've talked about this idea of like the Trump overhang and what that means for these folks who are running in House races and Senate races. Is Trump a help to them or is he a hindrance in some of these races? He is an immovable object for them in many ways, <laughs> right? They're caught between a rock and a hard place because here's the reality for these Republicans. When you have a president on the top of the ticket whose job approval rating is in the low 40s, like Donald Trump is, low to mid 40s, that is always a weight. I think the problem is even more acute for Republicans right now because of the hold Donald Trump has on right. the Republican Party. Each one of these Republicans in these tough states, in these battleground states, they need every single Trump voter to show up enthusiastically for them and cast their ballot in addition to building on that. This is a huge problem because if they try to take a step away from Trump, whatever they're going to gain, they think, from the middle or from some wavering Democrats is not going to compare to what they're going to lose in the unenthusiastic Trump-supporting Republican who's now pissed off that Martha McSally or Cory Gardner has stepped away from the president. It's an impossible position for them and one you hear them struggle with, such as Martha McSally did in this Arizona debate. Are you proud of your support for President Trump. I'm proud to be fighting for Arizona every single day. Is that a yes or a no for President Trump? Putting legislation on President Trump's desk. I mean, I think you hear in that, Nia, I'm proud to be fighting for Arizona every single day. Like She doesn't (laughs) want to engage on the Trump question, but she certainly doesn't want to diss Trump either. No, I, I think that's right. And she never quite answered that question. And listen, this is a question that folks all up and, and down the ballot are having to deal with on the Republican side. Next, we'll take a look at how a major boost in fundraising is changing the game for some Democratic candidates. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. 
Temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now here to explain to us how the Democrats' fundraising plays into their Senate surge is CNN's Frederica Scouten. Frederica, before we get into that, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what it's like to cover money in politics. You know, there's a saying that money ain't everything in politics, but it is something. What are some of the trends you've noticed over these last few election cycles in money in politics overall? <laughs> well, what's it like to cover money in politics? Um Well, it often involves me hunched over a spreadsheet at 1 a.m., looking at the latest filings with the Federal Election Commission, so not very glamorous. But the trends. Over the last decade, we've seen the increasing influence of a handful of very wealthy donors who are able to send tens of millions of dollars to super PACs in an effort to sway election results. But what we're seeing in this election is incredible energy on the Democratic side. Joe Biden and the Democratic Party this week said they'd raised $383 million in September alone, David. Breaking records for the second month in a row. And really, really important, more than half of that money, about $200 million, had come from online donors. That really speaks to an energized base. It's amazing to hear those numbers. I I, I mean, a year ago at this point, Joe Biden was uh, barely able to find an online donor. uh, And now as the nominee, all that anti-Trump energy is just clicking away. This energy that we do see at the grassroots level um, is actual real individual level enthusiasm or, or a metric of that. And it's not necessarily a corrupting force, no? No, it's not necessarily. It sometimes is not even about the individual candidate running as a Democrat. And like in South Carolina, it really is about Donald Trump for a lot of people. He has become the best moneymaker for Democrats possible. When you send me to fight for you in Washington, I'll never forget that my only superpower is your trust. I learned a long time ago, what you say matters and character counts. I may not be a superhero, But I am a South Carolinian, and I'm ready to fight for a better future for our state and our country. Oh, you can't can't turn on the TV without seeing it. They're always one after the other, you know, back to back. Never had heard of him until he started showing his ads on television. They have been blitzing us with ads back to back. It's just about everywhere. So it's ads, yard signs, Voters talking about the remarkably prevalent ad campaign by South Carolina Democratic Senate challenger Jamie Harrison. You might be wondering, how does a Democrat in a state Donald Trump won by 14 points four years ago have enough cash to pay for all those ads? Well, this week, Jamie Harrison announced that he had raised a whopping $57 million between July and September alone. You got to understand this, folks. We have never seen numbers like this. Jamie Harrison, who was frankly someone most Americans had never even heard of before this year, beat a fundraising record set by Texas Democrat Beta O'Rourke in 2018. 
Not a dime from a single pack. All people, all the time, in every single part of Texas. All of you showing the country how you do this. In that race, O'Rourke raised $38.1 million in the final full quarter before Election Day. Harrison has now shattered that record by nearly $20 million. Want a sign of how worried Republicans are? Lindsey Graham, the Republican Senator Harrison is trying to get rid of, got some newfound religion on regulating money in politics this week. Just listen to him at a Senate Judiciary hearing. To my good friend, Senator Whitehouse, me and you are going to come closer and closer about regulating money because I don't know what's going on out there, but I can tell you there's a lot of money being raised in this campaign. I'd like to know where the hell some of it's coming from. And that's not the only astonishing number in a Senate race we saw this week. In places like Iowa, I mean, Democrat Teresa Greenfield raised nearly $29 million in the last three months in her bid to unseat Republican Senator Joni Ernst. Just to put this in perspective, that's more money than Ernst and her 2014 Democratic rival Bruce Braley spent during their entire two-year campaign. My opponent has nearly $100 million being dedicated to her to prop her up and to tear me down right here in our great state. And the list goes on. I mean, the big money this year is flowing in North Carolina, where Democrat Cal Cunningham raised $28 million. And in Colorado, where another Democrat, John Hickenlooper, raised nearly $23 million. Democrats across the country are fired up, and Republicans are very worried. We've seen this pattern all year long. I mean, Democratic donors have stepped up. They want to get rid of President Trump, and they know the Senate landscape looks pretty good to them. But the fundraising seems to have taken on a, you know, a whole new dimension after Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away last month. Democratic activists are enraged that the Republican-controlled Senate is racing to confirm her replacement. Despite blocking President Barack Obama's final nominee early in an election year, back in 2016. This was a hypocritical, tire-squealing 180 for many Republican colleagues. ActBlue, which is the online fundraising platform for Democrats, says it brought in a staggering $300 million for Democratic candidates and causes in the days after RBG's death. Now, ActBlue has legions of small-dollar donors who have stored their credit card information with the online tool and can donate with just one click, sort of like buying on Amazon. Some donors have talked to me about their rage giving this year. I mean, they just log on, send in 5 or $10 to a Democratic politician somewhere, anywhere in the country, whenever Trump angers them. Now, Republicans have tried to catch up in the small donor space, and they have a relatively new platform called WinRed that has seen success, but they're still losing this fundraising battle. Now, we know, of course, who has the most money doesn't always win the race in the end. Four years ago, Hillary Clinton outraised and outspent Donald Trump and still lost. In Texas two years ago, despite all the money flowing to O'Rourke, he lost to the Republican incumbent, Ted Cruz. 
But in South Carolina, for instance, this wave of money will allow Harrison to continue to get voters' attention by blanketing the state with ads and billboards and mailers that have his picture on them. And the fact that we are even talking about a Democrat in 2020 mounting a competitive Senate race in South Carolina speaks to the power of money. Frederica Lindsey Graham, the Republican incumbent there, announced that he raised $28 million this quarter. That is certainly not chump change by any stretch. It's actually a pretty big number for a Senate candidate to put up. It's still (laughs) Jamie Harrison with double that amount in the same period of time. It's just mind-blowing. Why is there so much money in this race? Well, I suspect that some of it is about the person who is not running for the Senate in South Carolina this year, Donald Trump. I mean, Lindsey Graham, who, if you recall, actually ran briefly in the Republican presidential primary in 2016, has become one of the president's closest allies and and defenders in the United States Senate. They, they golf together all the time. And Democratic activists would love to punish Lindsey Graham for that alliance. So they're using the tool available to them, political donations to his opponent. Now, to counter that, Graham has made repeated appearances on Fox News to ask Republicans to please, please send in cash. LindsayGraham.com, help me. They're killing me money-wise. Help me. You did last week. And apparently they've answered the call. But again, we are seeing huge amounts of money pouring in for Democrats. Mark Kelly, a Democrat running in Arizona, raised nearly $39 million in his race against Senator Martha McSally, a Republican. And Act Blue this week announced that it raised $1.5 billion, that's billion over the last three months. More than 6.8 million donors. We'll see if it translates into votes. Frederica, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Okay, Nia, obviously we've been talking about these down-ballot races and the state of play in this battle for control of the United States Senate. The House looks poised to stay in Democratic hands. Everything seems tied to sort of President Trump and his political fortunes at the moment. If we do end up in a universe after Election Day where Joe Biden has won the presidency and the House stays in Democratic hands and the Senate majority is now in Democratic hands, how do you see the country being able to see what's different about that come January when all of those forces would sort of take control? Well, listen, Biden's campaign slogan is it's build back better, right? But it really is a return to normalcy. That is kind of what, in essence, he's campaigning on and, quite frankly, undoing Trumpism. In terms of policy, it means shoring up the ACA. It means rolling back some of those Trump tax cuts, addressing climate change in the way that uh, Democrats want to. But I do think there is kind of a, a warning sign in the Obama presidency. When they had control, what did we see in 2010 and 2014? We saw a backlash, right? The country, in some ways, might be clamoring for the Democrats to take over and and maybe single-party control. But just as soon as they uh, want that, they could change their mind two years from now. uh, And some of the gains we could see from Democrats could be rolled back, because that seems to be sort of the pattern that we've seen from voters over these last years. But you see Biden out there 
campaigning in states like Georgia, campaigning in states like Texas. Unlikely that he can actually win Texas, but he is very much thinking about these down ballot races. And David, what about you? What's your take on what this could mean for the future if, in fact, the polls are right, Biden wins, and and Democrats take control of the Senate and and maintain the House? Two things. One, of course, I'm not as high-minded as you are, and so I tend to look at these things through raw politics uh, more (laughs) than uh, necessarily policy, but I I totally uh, take your point on that. Let me first just say, you said, you know, if we are to assume that the polls are right— I'll tell you what one of the biggest surprises for me would possibly be. One of the biggest surprises for me would be if we don't see a narrowing and tightening both in the presidential and in this battle for the Senate between now and Election Day. I will be shocked if we are staying at 11-point margins for Joe Biden in the national popular vote. That does not seem thinkable to me. I will be stunned if this thing doesn't, over the next 19 days or so, get much tighter than it appears right now. But maybe not. Maybe it'll be some uh, blowout. So that's first of all. But second of all, if indeed Biden does win this and Democrats are in control of the House and the Senate, this is one political storyline that I think we're going to end up covering like a lot in the next year or so, which is the Democratic divide. I mean, I really think, Nia, that So much of the Trump antipathy among Democrats has papered over the real divisions between the more centrist, moderate, quote-unquote pragmatic wing of the party versus the Bernie Sanders, AOC, Elizabeth Warren, uh, more left wing of the party. I think those divisions are real. I think Joe Biden does not at all represent that left wing of the party in any way whatsoever, although he's been moved a little further left than maybe even he feels comfortable being throughout this process, but not much, right? I mean, part of his ability to stake out that more centrist lane and make that the appeal to Democrats as this is the way you beat Donald Trump, that worked. That worked as an argument in the primaries, and it seems to be working for him now. Mm-hmm. But I think that we are going to see a real battle emerge. I just think we're going to see a Democratic Party that Donald Trump will no longer be part of the equation for. He's gone. And so all of a sudden, all this stuff in the family that didn't get fully hashed out in the sort of uh, abbreviated primary season and in a general election that has been all about Trump's handling of COVID and all things Trump, I think all of a sudden that becomes a really big political dynamic in the country. Yeah, I think that's right. And and listen, we should caveat here. We don't know who's going to win. It's an open question. Uh, And if the Republicans hold the Senate, you know, that's either four more years of the same or four years of divided government. We have no idea this could go any number of different ways. That's it for this week's episode of Politically Sound. Thanks for listening. If you could take a few minutes to give us an excellent rating and an excellent review, we would love that. And please subscribe, if you haven't already, wherever you get your podcasts. Politically Sound is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutesa. Haley Thomas is the senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior production manager. And Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo is the team's production assistant. And a special thanks to Abby Sharp for her help on this week's episode. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. We'll see y'all next week. Quality. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.